Welcome to Empowered for Life, a weekly audio podcast with Pastor Dr. Dwight A. Smith, teaching the Bible with clarity and relevance, tackling today's topics and issues, bringing healing and restoration into the lives of hurting people. Hello, greetings and welcome. I'm your host, Pastor Dr. Dwight A. Smith, here with podcast episode number six, Accessing Kingdom Teachings that Relate to Daily Living. Let us begin by taking a look at the prophecies about Jesus, his life, his birth, his death, and the fact that he is the Jewish Messiah. If we were to calculate the statistical probability of one person fulfilling just 48 of these detailed prophecies, the odds turning out to be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's like building a wooden box so big that the solar system would be able to fit inside of it. And then you would fill it with silver ball bearings and just place one copper ball bearing in the box. The chance of anyone reaching into the box and pulling out the copper ball bearing on the first try would be a trillion times more likely than one person fulfilling all of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So you see, there were prophetic words spoken concerning Jesus before he even arrived to let us know that he, in fact, was Emmanuel, God with us, that he was, in fact, the Son of the living God. Let's begin by looking at a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 reads, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his head. This verse is the first hope of God's plan to defeat evil and to restore his relationship with people. It predicts the full victory of God over Satan. It is a prophecy of spiritual conflict between the woman's offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Satan's evil forces. God promises that Christ would be born of a woman. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So here we see the prophecy concerning a virgin conceiving and giving birth to a son. We see that his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. And if we go back to Genesis 3.15, we see that he would be struck by his unjust death on the cross, yet he would be raised from the dead and crush Satan, sin, and death in order to save the human race. 
In other words, in Genesis, when the serpent beguiled Eve, when Satan took the form of the serpent, tricking and deceiving Eve into eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and committing an act of sin, God prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ. He said that the seed of the woman would crush the head, the head being the administration, the operation of Satan, the organization that Satan had established that Jesus would crush it, but in his crushing the organization and the administration of Satan, Satan would strike at Jesus only to strike his heel. And so Satan, in Satan striking his heel, this is where we see that Jesus was crucified. Satan thought he had a victory because of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ, but he knew not the victory that was won through the death and burial because the grave could not hold his body down and he would be raised from the dead by the Father. Look also at Luke 2 verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, wrapped him in cloth, and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So here we see Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloth, placing him in a manger because at that time in Bethlehem, there was no available hotel motel or room for them in any of the inns. And so they had to spend the night in a stable. Let's look also at Galatians chapter four, verse number four. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. So we see here the prophecy is fulfilled that at a set time, God had a time set when he would send his son and his son would be born of a woman, also born under the law. His purpose was to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sonship. So he came that he might adopt us back into the family of God that we may be called the sons of God. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. So you see here the sign that was given and that would allow us to know that this child was to be born of the Spirit of God, that he would be conceived by the Holy Spirit, was that he would be conceived and born of a virgin. And that virgin's name was Mary. Now let's take a look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 21, 22, and 23. And she will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Yeshua, or Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sin. Now, if we understand the name Yeshua or the Greek name Jesus is the form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So the name Yeshua or Jesus means the Lord saves. Look at verse 22. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you see, the name given Yeshua or the English translation of that name Jesus is also the Emmanuel, which is to let us know that he is God with us. Jesus is the greatest revelation of God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus even said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. Let's take a look at the prophecy in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And this is God speaking to Abram. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, what we see here is God speaking prophetically to Abram that Abram's seed would be a blessing to all mankind, for God's son would come through the lineage of Abraham. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. 16. We'll look at 16 and 17. For surely it is not to the angels he helped, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he has made him like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Here we see the word of God stating that Jesus would not be like the angels, but he would be like Abraham's descendants. He would be human in human form. He would be in a physical body. It says for this reason he was made fully human. What was the reason he was made fully human? so that he would be merciful, so that he would experience what we experience, so that he would go through what we would go through. The Bible declares that he had been tempted in all manners like we are. So he understands temptation, but it says that he would be a faithful high priest, which means that even though he would be tempted, he would be without sin. He would not yield to sin. He would overcome sin and he would be faithful to his service to God. He would be a faithful high priest in his serving God. And by being a faithful high priest, by being faithful unto God, he would be able to make an atonement for the sins of the people. He would become himself 
the lamb of God. He would be the sacrificial lamb that would be slain for the sin of the world. And as that lamb, he would take away the sins of the world and by doing so would enable us to rightly come back into alignment to be righteous and to come into fellowship with the Father so that we can have an effective relationship with Jesus Christ and with the Father. Let's look at the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In this prophetic view of the future, the shepherd is the Messiah, Christ. God calls the shepherd a man who is close to me, which suggests that he is speaking of the Messiah, the anointed one, the savior, the deliverer from God, who is God's son. The shepherd, the Messiah, will be struck, wounded, killed, crucified. And when this occurs, his disciples then will be scattered like sheep. This prophecy may also be pointing to towards the scattering of the Jewish nation after the, their destruction by the Romans. Now let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being formed in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the death, even the death on the cross. Here we see Jesus being the very nature of God. Jesus Christ is God's son in his very nature, God, and therefore he is equal with the father before, during, and after Jesus's time on earth. Let's take a look at some scriptures concerning this. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So here we see that the word was in the beginning with God and that the word was God. Let's look at John 8, 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. So here we see Jesus identifying the fact that he was before Abraham. Look at John Chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. So here Jesus identifies the fact that he had glory and that he was with the Father before the world was even created. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. So Thomas identifies him as God. 
So we must understand that Jesus was, is, and always will be God. That Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, meaning he willingly let go of his privileges and his glory in heaven in order to live on earth as a man and eventually gave his life that we might be saved redeemed, restored, back in fellowship with God the Father. Now let's take a look at prophecy concerning his deity. We'll begin with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 reads, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Note what it says here. For unto us a child is born. The child was born. That was what Mary gave birth to. That's the fleshly part of Jesus. But the Son was given. That's the anointed Christ that came in the flesh. That's Emmanuel in the flesh. And the government of God will be on his shoulders. He would come and bring the kingdom of God. He would come and bring the purpose of God. He will come and bring the doctrine of God that we might establish our relationship back with the Father, a relationship of righteousness, a relationship of holiness. And that is why the scripture says we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, for he made it possible for us to be righteous. Also, we must understand that this is the prophecy about the birth of the Messiah the anointed one, the savior, Jesus Christ. His birth would happen at a definite time and place in history and in a unique and miraculous way. Isaiah records four names that would characterize the Messiah. One, he's a wonderful counselor. The Messiah would be a supernatural wonder. He would show this part of his character through powerful works and miracles. The wonderful counselor would possess perfect wisdom. His words and his message would reveal God's plan of salvation, leading people into right relationship with God and giving them eternal life. Mighty God, in the person of Jesus Christ, all of the fullness of God, his nature and character would exist in a bodily form. In other words, Jesus Christ would be fully God and fully man, everlasting father. The Messiah not only would show us the way to heaven, to the heavenly father, but he himself would be a perfect reflection of God. He would be the expressed image 
image of God, lovingly protecting and supplying the needs of his children, the Prince of Peace. His coming to earth would bring people to peace, the peace of God, by setting them free from sin and spiritual death. So here we see the prophetic words concerning Jesus in this portion of scripture. Look also at Matthew chapter 17, verse number five. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Here the Father identifies the fact that Jesus is his beloved Son, that Jesus is who he wanted the disciples to listen to. Let's look also at Psalms 2, verse 7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. My son, today I have become your father. Become your father literally translates brought you forth. A similar phrase was used to describe a woman giving birth, but it was also a technical term for a king presenting his son before the people. The king proclaimed or an official announcement his son as king along with his father. So this type of announcement was used to proclaim that the son was king alongside of his father. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 1 verses 32 through 34 where David did this for his son Solomon. Here it applies to Jesus publicly proclaimed as God's son, as his anointed, empowered authority, ultimate prophet, priest, and king. So we see here that God proclaims that Jesus is his son, that he is king alongside of God, and that he is the ultimate authority. He has commission, empowerment, and he is ultimately prophet, priest, and he is king. Let's look at Psalms 2, verse 8. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, if you look at this, you will note that no earthly king was ever promised authority over all the nations of the earth as an inheritance. This promise was only given to and fulfilled by the Messiah, who is king, that is Jesus the Christ. Let's look also at John's gospel, chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. We saw this when we were looking at the character of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where the Lord God speaking to Israel says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we understood that one was not just the numeral one, but one here represented a unit. We look at the scripture in Genesis where it said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And we saw also in the scripture concerning the Tower of Babel where the Lord God said, the people have become one, and because they are one, nothing they put their mind to shall be impossible unto them. So we see one can be a unit which is more than one. 
And therefore, we see that God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Spirit are one, one in purpose, one in power. They're equal in power, and they are, they are one. Therefore, Jesus, being the Word made flesh, is equal in power to the Father and equal in power to the Holy Spirit, and that he is, in fact, God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We will pick this up and continue to look at the prophecies concerning Jesus in our next lesson. If you're ready to shake off religion and tradition, to be, to do, and to have everything God purposed for you, then continue to tune in as we answer your questions and reveal to you the mysteries and secrets of the kingdom of God. Feel free to email us your questions and prayer requests at TV at aol.com. That's TV at aol.com or visit us online at www.empoweredforlife.tv. Again, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to sharing the Word of God with you.